You're tuning in to the Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal podcast. If you have a story or a guest recommendation that you think others need to hear, email me at wildweirdandsometimesnormal at gmail.com. Let's get this started. Alex and Brett, kick it! Wild. And sometimes normal. On this episode, I'm joined by Jaron and Reed, who are working on a unique role player game called Chulutu Dreamt. It's a horror sci-fi game that is accompanied by a heavy metal soundtrack. Jaron is one of the co-founders of Action Fiction that is designing the world of this game, and Reed is with Fable Factory, and he is making the music. These two smashed through their $10,000 goal in Kickstarter and have landed at almost $83,000. It's a fun conversation that included their awesome horror and sci-fi inspirations, a medium dive into the Twilight Zone and Tales from the Crypt, and a newbie introduction into the world of role-player games. The best part was covering how Jaron and his team, with Reed chiming in, have come up with and developed their monsters for this world. We also touch on aliens, satellite graveyards in the ocean, and a topic that is not covered enough on here, sea monsters. Check out their socials, give them a follow, pre-order the game, and let them know you heard them on Wild and Weird. Enjoy the show. Are you looking to buy a home in New Jersey? Escape the city and move to the suburbs? Finally purchase a vacation home on the lake or down the shore? Maybe you're one of the lucky ones who are retiring and moving out of state. If so, let me help you. Keller Williams and the Real Estate Professional Group have what you need to make your goals come true. Reach out and have a conversation with someone who will put you first. Contact Brian McCoach at 856-321-1212 or email McCoach at kw.com. Are you looking for CBD for your pet? My friends at Pure Pet Wellness have what you need. They use the highest quality ingredients. While other companies may use synthetic oils in their CBD, Pure Pet Wellness uses organic ingredients, organically grown hemp, organic coconut oil, organic shea butter, organic beeswax, and that's just to name a few. A family-owned and operated company that also offers fast shipping. Go to purepetwellness.com for all your pet's CBD needs and use the discount code WILDANDWEIRD at checkout. That's wild, A-N-D, weird. Treat your animal right. Go to purepetwellness.com. Welcome to another episode of Wild, Weird, and Sometimes Normal. I'm your host, Brian. And tonight, my guest is Reed with Fable Factory and Jaron with Action Fiction. Welcome, fellas. Hey, hey how's, how's it going? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having us. We've been looking forward to it since we got connected. Yeah, we were dancing around a little bit, but we finally landed the plane here. I think we're going to do pretty good, and we'll we'll see how this goes. You guys are working on an awesome project. You had a Kickstarter come up. I was reading one of the magazine articles came out in August that you set a goal of $10,000 for your project, and you smashed through it. Can you give me an overview of, of what's happening and where it stands and what we can expect? Take it away, Reed. 
All right. Well, yeah, like, I mean, you said the bulk of the information right there, but... Uh, All right, that's it, fellas, then we'll wrap it up for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the Kickstarter, like, it was awesome. We had tons of really supportive backers. A lot of people joined the community and, you know, have been talking it up and we've been chatting and the Kickstarter ended on September 8th and I believe it was around 82,000 is what I remember from the screenshot. But after that, we took a couple week break from the project to kind of reset and this week we we kind of launched back into the production side of starting to write the the campaign we've got writers and artists working on the side stories encounters and art and then i've been uh, restringing the guitars and getting ready so this project is for a a mixture of a soundtrack mixed with a a role-playing horror sci-fi game yeah, that that's really it. I mean, it's it's uh, it started like the project Cthulhu Dreamt started as a band, like kind of right after COVID started, and after our first album, Jaren and I were talking and and talking about Kickstarter, and I think we used Cthulhu Dreamt as just an example. And then Jaren said, "Well, have you ever thought about making that a game?" Uh, and and so it was like off to the races immediately. So what's the next step? I've definitely been in the middle of those conversations. Well, not that your conversation was like this, but I've definitely been on those like late night, Friday night conversations. There may have been like some substances or drinks passed around <laughs> and everyone's got the million dollar idea. They're like, hey, man, why don't the eight of us like if the Beatles were great at four, like what if there was eight of us, man, you know, and everyone gets real excited. And the next morning you wake up, and you're like, that was the worst fucking idea in my entire life. Like, <laughs> like, thank God no one remembers any of it. But so but you guys had you know, this dreamer of an idea. And, and now like, what's the next step to that? Go ahead, Jack. All right. I'll tell you. Uh, so well, now for us, right. The next step, I'll start at the time, right. At the time, the next step was like, all right, well, what does that even look like? How do we, right. how do we make that a reality? And thankfully, you know, the, most of those ideas, they'll, they'll fall apart because somebody in the group will be responsible. Somebody in the group will say, maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe that's not a good <laughs> idea. Neither Reed nor I have that bone in our bodies. We are untethered, un irresponsible ambition. And so when we woke up the next day, we were like, man, I guess we're doing this now. And we just started, he dumped this, this massive world building doc. He was like, here's, here's some notes and sent me this like 35 page Google doc that was this expansive world that he had created. And I started to sink my teeth into it. And think about like, how, how can we make this into a playable game? We floated around some early ideas. Like we want to use the Dungeons and Dragons system as the backbone for it. And ultimately when we thought about the kind of world that we wanted to create, we said, no, let's, let's go with this other very unique custom system that a buddy of mine, Adam Buffoni had laid the groundwork for a couple of years ago. So we just started building on top of that. Reed and I went back and forth and kind of created a story for players to play through just snowballed out for, gosh, we worked on it for two years, probably before we even went to Kickstarter. Right. Mm -hmm. So yep, did you guys grow sure. up playing Dungeons and Dragons or, or like types of games like that? I grew up mostly playing video games, did not get into D&D until like my college age years. And that was when somebody opened my eyes to it, which ruined my life. And I went down that rabbit hole for many, many years. And now here I am making all kinds of D&D stuff. And yeah, for me, my grandma got me into it in junior high and it was just, it, it was, it was like drugs, you know, able to like create worlds and be things that you couldn't be in normal life. And, and yeah, it was, it was pretty magical. <laughs> I mean, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs>
So I grew up in, in the heart of the 80s, the heart of the Stranger Things era that's that's in here. Like that is all my childhood. And but somehow like that door for I, I just, maybe I just never knew anybody who did it. And you know, I'd play like Monopoly and regular games like that. And the and this is I don't even think it's close to it at all. But one day my buddy came over with Risk, the game Risk, mm-hmm. you know, the world domination or whatever. And that game for a few years may have like changed like slightly curved my life. But you know, hey, do you want to play a quick game of this twelve-hour game? You're, you know, you never realize how quick, you know, how long it's going to be until you're already way too deep to quit. But so, but you guys took something that was, you know, a a hobby and activity, and now have expanded upon that and coming close to chasing your dream. So that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty great that. I don't know how to say this without feeling very uh, touchy feely, but like Jaren is a good friend. And, you know, we met a number of years ago through Twitter and I actually solicited Jaren and Action Fiction to see if I could write music for their Kickstarter video for like their very first Action Fiction project that was going up to Kickstarter. Jaren said, yes, thank God. But (laughs) like he's allowed me to work with their team kind of every time they've needed music for different Kickstarter things that they've gone up for. With this here, your your friend designed a world. So we're different from Dungeons and Dragons, but there's still going to be a type of campaign for it. And I would assume... I don't have the right jargon here, so you know, definitely correct me. But like different journeys, different campaigns, like things like that. There's going to be different levels that you could choose upon. Yeah, and then so the, with that oh, read, you're going to have accompanying music for each different level. Yeah. So Jaren and I, once once we kind of got into the making of it, um, one of the uh, first things we did was kind of sit down and and plan out the outline of the story, the the main campaign, which is going to take up the bulk of the book that people are, are you know buying. And once we had that outline kind of scratched out, I kind of went off in my little corner. Well, this corner you can see it, but and sat down and proceeded to write music in all its forms. Like it's very heavy metal based, but like I don't shy away from mixing genres or anything like that so there's a little bit of chip tune in there we've got some trap music you know there's like ambient music and one of the items that i was able to check off of my bucket list was writing orchestral music and then hiring a couple orchestras like from around the world to record that music and so yeah so like the last two years were essentially me kind of building this soundtrack around the outline for this campaign and now that we're kind of over the kickstarter finish line and the campaign is going to start being written i get to expand all that into like ambient music that'll be accompanying the gameplay you know if somebody wants to do that right so that was was my question jaron are you the campaign designer Yep. So all of the game stuff is my realm. All of the music mastery is his realm. A lot of what we've been working on together is how do we mix those, right? So your assessment was correct. There's a core rule book tells you how to play the game. That rule book also has some one-shot adventures. You can just break them out whenever you want, do it in one night, super easy to pick up. One of the big feedback that we've gotten from our game is how easy it is to learn, which is awesome. Then there's a big, long story. And when we wanted to marry the music and the game, that was something, it's a very unique piece of art, the way that it's executed. So it's not just, you, you know, you'll you play D&D, you walk into a, a big dungeon, there's a dragon, it's bearing down on you. And it would be really sick if there was like music that went with that scene. And that's what we've done with this game is there, during during the course of all of the one shots and of the main campaign, we've written these very cool cinematic moments for players to experience. 
And then Reed is kind of coming in and creating music that's specifically tailored to each one of those moments that players can play the music. There'll, there'll be a little code in the book that says like, right before you start reading this scene, scan this QR code, start playing this music in the background. And it serves as like background music to the scene that's about to play out. And it winds up just feeling, it makes everything feel very epic and huge and immersive in a way that we are super stoked about. I like that. That's so cool. And that answered like my main question. Like, how do you make <laughs> a CD or how do you make music if you don't know how the different people are going to play? Like mm -hmm. some some groups are like, you know, just going to bust everyone's chops for like an hour in between everyone's role or however else you do it. And it's like, <laughs> are we playing? Or are we just hanging out? I'm, I'm for both of them. Like, I can't focus on hanging out. I'm playing the same. Like, I need to switch my brain. And if there's this, you know, dragon music happening in the background, you're like, oh, no, hey, we got to start rolling. But that's really cool. Like the, you know, this is where I'm stuck at. I'm like, well, what do you do with your eight track? But no, the QR code <laughs> sounds like probably a great way to go about doing that. And uh, it, don't mass print those CDs. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's like, that was one of the things that I kind of had to like challenge myself with when we went to the Kickstarter because a couple of the rewards, and this is all available for pre order now as well, uh, now that the Kickstarter is over, but like, I had to think through kind of what would I want if I was supporting this project and like the stuff that I have around me are like CDs. I have a huge shelf full of vinyl over here and it's like vinyl, you know, is for whatever reason it's, it's making a resurgence or has been for the last few years. And, and like, I don't know why, but vinyl just feels really good. And so I was like, we're going to do a vinyl. We have to do a vinyl. And then let's make it so that like it's one of those gatefold vinyls. So if somebody wants to use it for their GM screen, they can. And like just kind of have all of these things that are doing double duty and and then like trying to figure out how to like how to choose which music out of over three hours to put on 40 minute vinyl you know that's the challenge yeah and the secret <laughs> sauce to marrying the game uh and, and the music was also figuring out how do we make stuff that can be secretly looped in the background right how do we make it so let's how video games get away with it right you're what you're really listening to is like a minute and a half of music that just repeats so subtly that you don't even notice it's repeating. And that was, I think, another fun challenge for, for Reed was figuring out like, what sounds can we get away with using that aren't going to be so distracting that every time you hear it, you're like, it repeated. I, I noticed that, you know. <laughs> yeah. You want memorable but subtle. Mm -hmm. And then the subliminal message of buy more campaigns, like loop in there <laughs> in the background, like deep in there, you know, middle of the game. Yeah. Like, I just have this urge. I have to log on and just get more. <laughs> yes, that's the way to go. Are you trying to design your music so it could just be standalone played? Yeah, it it fun like so the way that I'm I have been doing it is I will write a song for like whatever the cinematic scene is and then when when it goes to expanding that song to kind of encompass the stuff that happens around that scene, I'll take like signatures from that song and and make them into a more ambient feel. So that like there's like an obvious ramp up, you know, cinematic moment and then like ramp down or whatever, you know, the scene calls for around the action or whatever is taking place. But yeah, like that's like the, the vinyl will end up being curated so that it's like very listenable, like a nice through listen and it sounds like songs. And then when you're playing the game, the QR code that you scan will get you to whether it's the song or the ambient track that that needs to be played at that particular time. Are there vocals to this? Or are you going to have like a death metal scream? 
So, <laughs> so we haven't announced it yet. So your 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 pod will be the the official kind of announcement for it. But um, breaking news, I need like a yeah. breaking news horn here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna we're gonna release a companion album at the same time, which will take you know a handful of these songs, and it will have vocals. So the the companion album will be like a standalone album. It'll follow the story arc of the game. And then those songs will also be instrumental versions on the soundtrack as well. Jaron, will you be on the vocals? I sure will not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have double breaking news here. We have an album that's expanded and zero vocals for Jaron. <laughs> so you're, this is horror sci-fi. What are your inspirations? What movies did you watch growing up? So this, this is now the rest of the podcast. This is it. Because Reed and I have gone... On and on and on and on and on and back and forth so many times for all of our inspirations. For storytelling, some of the sci-fi and, and, and things that I'm mixing in that I'm really inspired by are like Twilight Zone, huge fan of like those those kinds of sci-fi stories. Star Trek also, where you're you're getting these kind of like bottle episodes. Um, that's what you're getting out of the these one-shot stories that we're bringing on some guest writers to write and things like that. They're really fun, like meanwhile stories happening alongside the main campaign. I just love reflective, morally gray sort of sci-fi where there there isn't right or wrong. There are just actions and consequences. And then for the horror, some of the stuff that we've looked at are like Neil Blomkamp's Oat Studio bit that he did was was fantastic. Recently, there was Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities has a short film in it called Autopsy, which I've now seen like 10 times because it's it's like such the right atmosphere and vibe for what we're going for. I really like things like that. I'm a big fan of creature features too. So you'll find a lot of very gross, creepy, strange, eldritch abominations, you know, kind of crawling their way through the book. That's awesome. That's great. And Reed, are you giving feedback into types of monsters? Oh, yeah. Jaren is very kind in letting me have uh, input as far as like, oh, this would be cool or this would be awesome. And like, sometimes I drive that too. It's like, what we really need here is a map, you know? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, like, so Jaren and I will work out how we can do that. And it's, it's, it's a pretty rad relationship as far as working back and forth goes. And, you know, every, all the music I create too, I put it in front of the team and I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? And, and like the feedback goes back and forth. So it's, it's always, it's always nice to kind of be a part of the entire thing, you know, if I wanted to. No, I think that's great. So the Twilight Zone, you know, I knew the concept and, you know, everyone knows like the intro and I just never watched them until probably 2017, maybe around there. They are amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, and then I know they rebooted. I've only seen one or two of those. And I feel like, I don't know, I may have to give them another chance before I start like completely shitting on them. But <laughs> those original ones, were, they're, they're just so, they're just so perfect, you know, that like, you're not sure what's happening. That twist is right there. It's always so subtle. You're not sure how to think like afterwards, you know, like, are they crazy? Was that normal? What, what, you know, is that all in their head? You know, they had ugly pig people, but that was normal. And they were trying to give that woman the plastic surgery to get mm -hmm. her to get caught up. Then she saw her like, really just, just fun thoughts at that time. And like, I feel so, I wasn't alive in the fifties and the sixties when this is happening, but that also seems like really advanced at that time for the other stuff that was coming out in the culture. Yeah, Rod Serling was was very much ahead of his time. He was ahead of his time in a lot of ways too. He talked a lot about censorship in media and and you know like 
equal, he was he was a big proponent for like equal representation in media also which during the 50s and 60s was like the you know the tv censors hated him they were like you can't you know it's it, you can't do any diversity and he was like i think you're wrong and really really fought him on that which was cool to see additionally he did right after he did twilight zone he did a series called night gallery which is sort of like twilight zone but it's in color that's also super worth watching if you you weren't around in the 50s and 60s you might have been around for tales from the crypt um, oh, that's which great is, one. uh, mm. yeah, that's a fantastic horror. You know, it's very similar to the Twilight Zone, where it's just twisting on fun concepts, single episode stories. I love stuff like that. I don't know why, like, but the episode that pops in my head probably monthly, and I'm trying to think where the old guy is from. Oh, he is, I think it's the, the grandfather in Crystal's Vacation that's smoking the cigars, and then he trades his body with the bodybuilder, but he's super rich, oh, and the yes. girl doesn't like him. And then the bodybuilder, the girl doesn't like him because he's poor, but then he buys his entire body. And yeah, she, like, all she wanted was money anyway. <laughs> and it's like, and like so, step by step, like first he buys his face and they do those really janky cuts where it's like clearly that guy's upper body. And then the camera shows some old dude's legs and tries yeah. to get you to believe that this is the same person. <laughs> I believe that I'm like, oh, this is this is crazy. This cutting edge technology here. <laughs> Love that episode. Fantastic yeah. episode. Yeah, that was a fun episode. And then, you know, Kanye West and his whole gold digger thing. He was ahead of his time. He's just been, you know, telling this guy back then, like, look, buddy, that's all she wants is just the money. Anna Nicole Smith, like, this is this is all the stuff for you. But that was that was fun stuff back then. And it's even crazier, maybe I, I don't know, a, a better or a worse parent than you know, in the eighties there weren't a lot of rules. So like my parents mm-hmm. like, oh, it's on TV, it has to be good for you. And like just go ahead and watch it. And it's like, wow, I was like eight years old watching this. It seems kind of crazy. And then, yeah. you know, my son's turning 10 and I'm like, hold on, well, let me look up the IMDB parental ratings. And, you know, <laughs> one guy like sneezes shit as he's like, oh, shit. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, you can't have that. Hey, hold on. But, I'm on the other end of that spectrum as a parent. I'm trying to talk my wife into letting our kids watch like Alien and Predator and stuff. Because yeah. I watched those when they came out and I was way too young. But I'm like, if I can do it, they can. <laughs> I talk a big game here. So this this last summer, my son, he was. He watched Battleship with my dad, the movie Battleship. I never saw yeah. it. He came home very excited about it. it. Was like, oh, aliens, aliens, and he likes The Rock. So we watched, you know, uh, not uh, the Tooth Fairy. I think he was in that. So we started watching stuff like that, and the, the friendly ones. And I was like, all right, like, oh, GI Joe. Let's watch the GI Joe movie. And then I was like, hey, let me show you the guy who was The Rock when I was a kid. Let me show you Schwarzenegger. So yes. we put on Kindergarten Cop, and my daughter was in first grade. But I'm like, oh, hey, it's a kindergarten joke. And I, I know like the one. You know, the little boy stands up. He's like, oh, boys have a penis. Girls have a vagina. I'm like, all yeah. right, that's fine. We talk about like the real words in this house. Like we want to make sure they, I'm like, and that's just, that's a fine thing to say. That's fine. And 10 minutes into the movie, I don't, I don't know when the last time you, if you guys have ever seen it or last time you saw it, that is a straight up action film where Schwarzenegger is just cursing nonstop, except <laughs> when he's in the kindergarten classroom. And I was oh, like, no. it's happening. Oh, I'm like, no. Oh. Yeah. Forgot and that this part. Is, <laughs> yeah. And this is late 80s. So I guess I think it takes place in California in the beginning and he's going after the guy and they're just smoking cigarettes inside the mall. <laughs> oh, I don't man. remember. I would have, I would have been eight, nine, 10 years old at that time. I have zero memory of that. I know you'll see movies like in the 70s and they're smoking on the planes. You're like, oh, that has to be like a crazy thing they're doing that. <laughs> but I'm like, I would remember the 10 people just like smoking cigarettes and cigars walking around. I, you know, maybe I blocked that out. But yeah. great movie. Uh, that language was just, oh, was like, geez, that's fine. <laughs> I'm like, all right, let me get the TNT version and I'll let you watch Predator. But apparently it was like the after 10 o'clock one that I recorded. So it just had all the language anyway. Like, oh, well, just, <laughs> you tried. Yeah, I'm like, just not saying that. Just, just let it go. <laughs> That's it. But I I haven't, he watched all the aliens versus predators and he's like, Oh, I really want to watch alien. I want to watch alien. Like, I think aliens like really freaky. I was like, go to aliens 
watch number two. I was like, <laughs> I need to think about the first one a little more. <laughs> I'm surprised you started uh, with Kindergarten Cop. I think like maybe a decent one to start with might be Last Action Hero for Schwarzenegger for like a younger kid. Yeah. Did you I see did, that one? I, I saw that one. Like when it came out, I didn't really like it. And then I watched it later and, you know, still didn't like it. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, let's, let's watch something I do like. You know, like, there you go. There you go. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, selfishness happening here. I'm like, ah, I don't like that movie. Move on. Move on. There you go. I may make up some IMDb ratings if I don't like the movie. I'm like, oh, no, there's terrible stuff in here. Yeah. Like, Aladdin, there's terrible things. I'm like, oh, no, I can't watch that. Just terrible, terrible things. But. Awesome. So you guys are taking inspiration from all the classic, the the thrillers, the like psychological. I, I would say that would be more along the lines of the Twilight Zones, like the psychological thriller type of things like that. And you're mixing this now into your game that you have now. I don't want to say weird stuff. I mean, and you're like, you guys are kind of in the weird stuff. You know, you're, you're doing that, but like, it's like aliens, like you know, ghosts and things like that. Was that part of your growing up too? Yeah, for me, yeah. it was. Read you. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, like. I that like the fascination with with anything freaky was just always there and you know like like you you know I I grew up on Tales from the Crypt that you know was, I can I I still can't believe my mom let me watch it but you know this is the mom that took me to see Tango and Cash when it came out in the theater which was totally not appropriate but you know like my mom loved sci-fi we watched total recall when it came out together you know like yes i was totally raised on all that cool stuff and and so it's just like i'm i'm glad i've kept up with it or at least like gone back and, and stuck with it too because i read a lot as well and like i love to read sci-fi but i also like to read horror occasionally and like there's only been two books that have ever scared the crap out of me and one of them was salem's lot by stephen king and the other was at the mountains of madness by hp lovecraft and after reading that like i had to explore more of his writing and so like that's kind of what got me into the cthulhu mythos and, and you know i remember like picking up the necronomicon thinking oh this is going to be some cool book you know fiction book but it it turns out it's basically like a technical handbook you know <laughs> in a fictitious world and I, I remember bringing it on the bus going to school one time and the bus driver wouldn't let me get on because it was satan stuff you know it had like whatever the symbol was on the cover and i was like this isn't satan this is cthulhu <laughs> yeah very different yeah. <laughs> But yeah, like that kind of stuff is always, it's always cool to think about just like the implications of, of that kind of stuff. Were it real, you know, and you know, we live in a, a day and age where weird shit happens all the time and it's very, it's almost too real. <laughs> so it's like much better to fantasize about the weird stuff. That's what I was going to ask is over time, have you come to believe that's like more real or you're just like, no, no, like that could happen or maybe like it definitely doesn't. The weird thing is, is like, I kind of wish it would happen sometimes just to like cl <laughs> clean things up. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell just you a the good plague. The, Where's the good plague to wipe out? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the, the weird thing that I have continuously convinced myself is real. And I guess what's fun about it is, well, I'll just, I'll start at the top, right? Sea monsters is my big thing. Sea monsters terrify the absolute hell out of me. They're the scariest thing I could possibly imagine. I, I cannot emphasize enough. I've been skydiving. I, I'll ride roller coasters all day. I've been, uh, you know, at the top of skyscrapers, heights, whatever. 
sea monsters just chill me to my core. And the thing that stresses me out a lot about like sea monsters, like I'll spend hours and hours just reading articles online and like grainy photos. This is back in like the the mid to late 2000s, like those grainy photos that are like, what just washed up ashore over here? And it's like some some 11 year old got Photoshop and figured it out or whatever. But what's crazy about that though, is that like, there is a, a vast amount of the ocean that we like super don't understand. And that's where I think a lot of the fiction, a lot of sci-fi stuff operates best when it occupies the space of like unknown. Oftentimes it winds up being like unknown until later on when we know it, you know, like if you look at how like space was depicted in like, like the early, like, like thirties and things like the first film, the, the man and the moon film, like it, it changes over time, but seeing fiction that operates in that gray space seeing you know like horror movies that depict uh what if there was a a, a sea monster under underwater with Kristen stewart a great example of this where it's you know we don't know so let's just imagine some really horrifying stuff down there for fun you know uh <laughs> so that's that's kind of like where my brain space operates i love sea monsters the ocean see if you're skydiving like okay maybe a bird would fly into you or something but you could see it <laughs> like something's not coming out of nowhere and maybe guys, maybe you're in the middle of a cloud or something, but like for the most part, you're skydiving below the, the cloud deck. But the ocean, man, so I, I live in New Jersey, um, 35 minutes from 35, 40 minutes from the ocean. And we go there all the time. You're knee deep. You can't see your toes. You can't see nope. your feet at all. Like, and then people are just out there swimming and surfing. And you're like, dude, there's fucking monsters just swimming next to you. <laughs> like, legitimately, there's sharks right off the coast. They have this, uh, I forget, um, Mary Beth or Mary Ellen, there's an like 11 to 13 foot great white that they've tagged and it'll come up near Atlantic city and into the Brigantine Bay and huh. like the Brigantine Bay, like there's like, we'll go out there fishing and on this like small little crappy little party boat thing. I'm like, there's a 13 foot great white just in here. Like I'm going to cast it trying to get a little flounder and this thing's going to like rip me down in there. So I understand your, your concern for, for these monsters. And one of the things we haven't explored all the way down the ocean as much as we have the land on Earth. I get that. And when flight MH370 from Malaysia disappeared and it was in the Indian Ocean, I truly had no idea how much of the ocean like we didn't explore. Not even like just the top of it. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, the Indian Ocean, the most unexplored part, like even the top's not even mapped. Like, what do you what do you mean? And then I come to find out that if like you're not in a shipping lane, like no one's been in that part of the ocean. It is yeah, insane. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought they were sailing everywhere. I, I really yeah. had no idea that it was like there was like a highway you get on, and this whole Tom Hanks and Wilson thing is just just bullshit. He never would have been found. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's crazy you bring that up because we were just recently talking about like the island of Relay, the fictional island where Cthulhu, you know, is entombed, and the the place on the planet Earth where that island is is supposed to be located is called Point Nemo, and it's the point in the in the Pacific Ocean which is equidistant from any landmass, and it's so far from any landmass, like there's no shipping lanes, no nothing, but like when the space station is overhead, those people are actually closer than people on the planet Earth to that point, and we also found out that that's also the satellite graveyard that's where like space agencies from around the world uh ditch their satellite like their their derelict uh space vehicles um because there's nobody around for it to hurt when they yeah. crash them yeah so crash them the sea monsters that's what's happening <laughs> yeah. sea monsters are sunbathing on there and they're like oh just nail them <laughs> yeah if so, you could imagine like the 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 bottom of the ocean around point nemo how many it has how many satellites did we say were down there we, we looked at it oh 
it was an absurd number. Whatever yeah. you think it is, it's like 10 times as much as what you think. <laughs> I feel like, I don't quote me on this. I feel like we read it was like 200. Like it was just like a, a crazy number of satellites that we just keep dumping to the bottom of the ocean. What's the worst that could happen? You know, one day. The satellites with up. the radioactivity are what's yeah. going to create the. <laughs> and one day we're yeah. going to wake something up. It's going to be super pissed off because it's been getting satellited in the face for like 80 years, you know, and it's going to be our fault. That's crazy. We, we have this whole let's save the earth and like all these good things. Like I'm all on board with all of that. But then it's like, ah, just dump that in the ocean. It's fine. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. okay. You know, <laughs> so they true. have this, they have this kid, a boy on. Boy on Slat, S L A T. I don't know how to say his last name, but he's he's probably in his mid twenties now. But one time he was on Joe Rogan, and he was in his late teens, and he's and they're talking about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, and like everyone's like, oh, it's too big, you can't do anything. The size of Texas, you can't do anything. And he went on there, and very straightforward and and very normal, uh, just laid out like, hey, I'm going to design this thing, and we're going to clean it up. And he has been doing that ever since. They go in the rivers and clean up all this polluted stuff and just like knocks it all out and goes ahead and do it. As everyone else complains, like, oh, we should save this. I'm like, we'll go do it. Like, well, it's just too much to do. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Just going to yell about it. I'm, all right. Like, I'm on board. Yeah. Old man yells at clouds. Like, that's that's half of my life. So, <laughs> yeah, so, that's the same that's stuff you see. Like, people are like, oh, well, you know, we, we got to cut down on straw usage. And I'm like, I'm super down with that. Like, absolutely. Let's use, let's use metal straws. But like, you got to think about like, Who's really doing the dumping? Because it's like I'm I'm gonna put a, a couple hundred straws in there in my lifetime. That's like what a couple dozen pounds of, of plastic. And then you've got like Exxon Mobil's just like raining <laughs> plastic and oil into the ocean every year, year after year. I mean, the competition for pollution is fierce, you know? <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. We're not gonna turn this into a whole like, hey, you get down the, the little people. <laughs> it's always it's always like, hey, like, what are you doing that's polluting? And that's like Exxon just spilled six billion gallons of of oil. And like you're worried that you know, one piece of my paper blew somewhere. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I guess we should clean it all up and, and just move on. But so I think when I was growing up, I was super into aliens and I'm like, there has to be UFOs, there has to be. And now they have all these whistleblowers coming out and all this different stuff. And I feel like I'm more torn now than ever. When I had a much less information, I was much more certain that there was definitely aliens. And now, like as it's coming out more, I'm like, "Whoa, is that just like our technology? And like, how far are we? Yeah. And you know, our, our ghosts just bumping up of different dimensions, which is just amazing on its own. But I'm also, it's not a ghost. Like I was promised a ghost. Like where's Abraham Lincoln's <laughs> ghost in the White House? I don't want to hear that it's <laughs> yeah. interdimensional Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter bumping up into our you know area. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's so like this. It's so disheartening, kind of to like to want the knowledge or like at least the edification that yes this thing that i think is so cool like i really want that to be a thing and then it's like you know they come out of these hearings and it's like well there's nothing like there's nothing that proves it you know or whatever and it's just like well maybe tomorrow then i don't know <laughs> yeah it, it, yeah. it is very disappointing and then it's also like well i can't tell you this in public i'll tell you in private but it's like, all right, well, you're also telling me in public like what it is because you said you can't say it. But then you would think like the news would be really excited. Like, oh, my God, they have alien spacecrafts and they actually have aliens and they work with them. But they're like, well, well he didn't really say it. So we're not. I, yeah, yeah he, he can't tell you in, in public, has to tell you in private. You go into private. He gives you $10,000 and he's like, go out there and tell him I said the truth. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. how it works. You know? Right. Yeah. That's such a shame. That's it. Yeah. So are your creatures, you're, you're developing your campaign. How intense are we getting? What what is the the rating factor on this? Is this going to be scary oh, for yeah everyone? 
This is definitely scary for everyone. So Snails is uh, a member of our team. They do a lot of our creature design. And one of the things that they really like to do with some of the creatures is take things that are not normally scary or are a little abstract and then find a way to make it scary. So we get to explore, which is uh, honestly, it's a lot of what Stephen King does for his like horror too, is like making non-scary things scary. So we get to explore a ton of stuff. One of the creatures that we broke out early in design was it's based on a type of isopod called uh, like a fish louse, where it'll like bite onto a fish's tongue and replace the tongue. And now they have like this parasitic relationship and they eat what the fish eats. And we were like, what if that, but like the human brain, and it like gets into your brain and then eats away the back of your brain because all your personality lives in the front of your brain. So it starts at the back and just starts consuming and taking over like your autonomic muscles until all that's left is your personality and you're just a like a passenger and you're just watching your body go on about its day because this creature has like just consumed your brain. Uh, so we get to do like gross body horror like just uh i mean the content warning list for this book is uh it's like three miles long <laughs> it just keeps so your targeted audience is is adults or children whose parents grew up in the 80s and just yep. living adults, that dream so yep. adults yep. or kids with real cool parents like yeah the like coolest parents on earth <laughs> that's awesome again i never really played these games so you just give me a high level how's the game start like what, what's happening here the, this specific game, we are really excited because we're we're doing a little bit of like in in game out of game back and forth, right? A lot of our creatures are are and our content is designed to blur the line between what's happening on the table and what's happening at the table with the players. So our our game starts in what we call a session zero. It's a very common term in in Dungeons and Dragons content where it's kind of like a game before the game really starts. Before anyone's rolling dice, before any of that happens, you have some kind of session zero that just kind of gets everyone aligned and on the same page. Our session zero takes place on Reddit. We have a custom subreddit that we that that we're building with like a bot and everything, and essentially what's going to happen is in the the Reddit is like in world right everything that gets posted on the Reddit is is canon in the world. So players start by somebody makes a post on the Reddit thread and says, "Hey, I had this crazy weird dream," and all of the other sends that link to all the other players. All the other players, as their characters, jump in and they say man, I also had this dream and this is how our characters meet. So they're really doing that. They're really going on a Reddit to, to be their characters and to role play out. And that's how they meet before they ever sit down at the table to start rolling. And that's where the story kind of picks up. They get recruited by a government agency because there's some like real heavy restrictions going on and they're getting sent on like a covert mission to rescue a scientist. And they need average everyday people that do not have any sort of ties to anything else disposable folks right is really the hope i think for the characters that are that are being recruited they wind up trying to go and find this scientist who is maybe the only person that can help save the world now that cthulhu has woken up and is now starting to trudge his way across the globe and having these you know crazy side effects on humanity i love it so this is taking place on reddit in the beginning but then this is actually a physical game that you're playing is yep, there yep, a way to do this remotely with with people yep D, &D it, it's very similar any tabletop rpgs can be done remotely right all you really need is dice and your imagination there's lots of virtual dice a lot of we do all of our playtesting on discord as an example right and that's one of the things as we design creatures and as we design these like meta encounters you know we've got 
some fun creatures where like one of the rules is you you take a penalty unless you go your entire turn without blinking because this creature is staring at you and you can't blink or it'll hurt you so you as the player really can't blink so like you could still do that over a webcam right and still be held accountable so we we get to mix in a little bit of that but making sure that it's playable and accessible remotely is something that we're always you know trying to think like okay how do we pull that off one of the things that we had to design around was one of our creatures in its early phase required you to make eye contact with the person who's running the game, which you cannot do over a webcam, right? And so that like was a fun concept, but we kind of had to go back to the drawing board with it. Do you ever think, or you know, maybe a future game, I, you know, I only take like 50% of the profits off of this, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, you know, that like, so the monsters you're creating are awesome. I'm on board with that. But like also the world's like crazy enough. Like what if we were like, hey, scientists have this underground base like near Switzerland and they're just trying to create mini black holes. And like you have to go and infiltrate this top secret government facility and make that a little more real based. And like people are, you know, as you're doing yep. it, you you can start people down all these different rabbit holes of fun things. Well, and that's and that's that's where like a lot of our encounters come in too. It's like like the main campaign, you know, it runs from point A to eventually point Z. You know, let's say your your party, one of your people who you play with can't show up one night, but everybody else is still available. Well, you can pull out one of these encounters, like these one shots, where it's like a, a side story that's happening somewhere else in the world. And, you know, it might be a mission where you have to figure out what is happening at the secret underground base that Salian Wealth is running underneath the Antarctic ice sheet or, you know, there's different things. But the point of it is to make it more accessible if your whole team of people can't show up for one session. But then it also kind of uh, fills some of the gaps in the world so you can see, well, what is happening in the UK right now, you know, as our party is maybe in South America or, you know, whatever. Well, I think it's cool. Yeah. So Jaron, action fiction, this isn't your, so you said earlier, this wasn't your first Kickstarter. What else have yep. you worked on over there? So we have primarily designed content for Dungeons and Dragons, and we did a three book series. So like over a thousand pages of content called Monsters of Merca, which is a high fantasy parody of the United States. So like America, right? It's it's all like pop culture references and celebrities and, and you know, satire of society commentary, but it's designed like with magic and monsters and dragons and all of that so you get you know hollywoods is a place that you can go in this in the monsters of america book um it was a really fun way for us excuse me to kind of like do that like comedy it's very it's a very like comedy focused book and it kind of started where a lot of folks that do play D D they'll include their little like inside jokes that everybody at the table gets, right? Like they'll, they'll put their math teacher in there and then everyone's like, oh my God, this is Mr. Hartford, right? And everybody knows like, okay, I see what you're doing. This is Mr. Hartford. And we were like, what if the whole world that you played in was just all that? What if there was a Starbucks and a McDonald's and a Walmart? And what if, you know, the, the president of the United States was a dragon, you know, and, and just really chased that for a while. And doing three books of it was fun. We had a ton of fun. I met some of the coolest people I've ever met. Uh, Reed's one of them, right, designing that. But after three books, we were like, all right, it's starting to get tough to write satire because the world is outdoing us. Every ridiculous <laughs> thing that we come up with, the world does something even more ridiculous. Even The Onion is like, guys, we need a break. We can't keep up. And we were very much, it was just like the stars aligned. And as we were finishing the third book in the design phase, that's when Reed came to me and said, like, I'm thinking about this Cthulhu dreamt thing. And I was like, oh, that would be a very cool, different path to go down on instead of like 
comedic satire and political commentary and stuff like that what if we chased like this sci-fi horror concept and see what we can do with that which is a lot of fun it's a different kind of commentary you get to do a lot of like um corporations are making shady deals with government entities right you still get to kind of have your your messages that's what twilight zone was all about was you know that social commentary but you get to explore it in a much different arena that i'm having a ton of fun going through that's awesome you are picking this back up. The Kickstarter ended in September. You guys took a you know minute to refocus and see what you're doing, and now you're back on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're you're in production, or what's happening? Yep, we're in production. We're now having. I mean, Reed has never stopped. He never stops, never stopping. Uh, I wish I could get him to stop making music, uh, <laughs> but I just can't. Um, so he's. He's made just so much content in terms of music. For us on the writing side, you know, the system is pretty much done. We've done a ton of play tests. Now we're just putting pen to paper and finishing out like the whole campaign. So we're meeting up at my place or remotely, depending on our availability, once a week or so. And our plan is to just finish out everything that needs written by the end of the year. Then I've got, so that's for the main campaign. Then for the encounters, those one shots that Reed is talking about, we've brought on a whole gang of writers. Um, some of them have never written a, a, an RPG game before. And I love working with people like that because they always, they just break the rules. You know, they, they are, they're, they, they see the rules and then they're like, I don't like that. I want to do something else. They don't feel limited by what's been done before. So we have already seen just some really awesome ideas come through on some of those encounters. And those folks are kind of like working in a separate writer room that I'm leading from the main campaign, but just seeing what they come up with is, is very, very cool. I think that's great. It's one of my favorite things. People in the corporate world, it was always like, Hey, think outside the box. And like, that was like the worst. It's like, Oh my God, like, that's <laughs> fucking terrible. But then also like, if you just never realized there was a box, like, why is there a box? Like, yeah. just get rid of that, you know? Yeah. And then like anything, you know, like you can, I think we make strides in all different aspects of society if we we just refused. As I was talking about the the guy cleaning up the trash, like, well, it's just too big. And like, well, that's because like the box tells you it's too big. But this guy <laughs> was like, well, I don't believe any of that crap. Like, I'm just gonna go out here and just go do it. So you've got these writers who aren't confined. Like, oh, I think actually, you know, the second part of the campaign should follow the 1987 version of. And it's like, no, man. Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and let's go ahead and do this. Yeah. yeah. One of the one of the adages that I remember hearing as a kid was the worst thing you can tell an artist is be creative, right? just that 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 itself is a box right when you when you're when you're defining anything like that giving them that sort of structure or giving them too much freedom it 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 just can make things not go we have a really great place where we're striking such a cool balance of like here are the mechanics, right? This is the this is as much box as you're going to get. Here's the world. This is as much box as you're going to get over here. And I I actively encourage my writers. I'm like, if you see something here that's in your way, tell me we'll rip it out. Like we'll find a way around it. Like let's collaborate and jump over that hill instead of feeling stopped by it. And then immediately it's just getting discord DMS like every day. Like it would be very cool if we could do this. I'm like, you're right. Let's do it. Let's find a way, you know, <laughs> that's great. And your world's magical anyway, but like, guys, there's nothing stopping you. Like if it's just there, just zip to the other side, yeah. <laughs> you know, Reed, what is fable factory? What have you been doing with that? Yeah, so Fable Factory is like a small studio of creative people. We get together and make different multimedia projects, you know, like Cthulhu Dreamt kind of started out of Fable Factory and, you know, it made sense to team up with Jaren and Action Fiction because of their expertise in game writing and creation. And but like other stuff that we do is, you know, combine music and story and art and comic books 
one project that I'm working on that I was working on during our little hiatus after the Kickstarter is something called Oceanic Battle Snails, which is it started. It was supposed to just be like a quick one off dungeon synth thing that I could just mess around with for a couple of days and be done. But I asked an artist to make a cover for what would be the album of this dungeon synth thing. And they're like, can you tell me anything about it? And I was like, oh, yeah. So I like wrote up a paper of the back, like the, the backstory of this world. And I showed it to another friend of mine who is a writer. And he's like, so what are, are we doing this now? Like, is this another like, can we do this? And so like now it's become a whole thing. And in 2024, like that's when it's really going to kind of take off. And I don't know where it's going to go yet. You know, there's already a couple writers interested in writing for it. There's like an artist attached and become this weird thing which all of my projects seem to kind of explode beyond my capacity <laughs> then you're out there you know you're getting the people you need to work with you're asking for help you're getting pointing in the right direction it's better than like hey i have all these great ideas and then they're just really small when i start on them and yeah. like scale them back so yeah I think that, that's great man you're, you're just blowing through that yeah it's so much fun too because just having partners in all these different projects like Jaren, you know, with Cthulhu Dreamt and, you know, my other friends with these other projects, it's like, I don't have to do everything. <laughs> you yeah. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Need so more brains. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's like, all of these people are so awesome at what they do and to be able to like work alongside them and, and create together this thing that, you know, like different pieces of the, of the puzzle that'll come together and be this really cool thing that, you know, I like, usually I don't care if other people like it. Like I just want it to exist on my, you know, on my shelf or on my bedside table and like be able to look at this thing and pick it up and say, wow, we made this. But, you know, like something like Cthulhu dreamt where it, it finds people who like are super interested in it. Like that is like a step beyond even cause it's, you know, creating for people who appreciate what you're doing and maybe even identify with, with some of that stuff is pretty awesome. Jaren, besides it being an awesome product and idea, what do you think caused us to just like, like smash through the Kickstarter so fast? Like, what do you think that void was in in the in the world that you're doing this in? Oh man, that's a great question. I think a lot of what I think our success was just is is in the shape of like a lot of people have never seen this before. A lot of people have never seen a, a game and a soundtrack, and there's it's very expansive. There's there's a novel for it. It's it's doing a lot of things, and I think right now we're obviously we're seeing a huge resurgence in tabletop RPGs. Dungeons and Dragons is blowing up. People are are just getting out there and seeing what new games are out there. So we're we're at a really good time right now in terms of people getting exposed to the concept of playing these tabletop RPGs. They're not just for, you know, dudes in their mom's basements anymore. Now like everyone's kind of into D&D. Game of Thrones helped to to kind of like set us onto that course, I think. It's very cool to see that come to fruition. And I think a lot of people are they're looking for something new, they're looking for something fun to do and they're looking for something fun that they can do without necessarily leaving their house because i think that a lot of the a lot of the culture around gaming and hanging out is becoming more virtual i don't know about like a metaverse i don't know if i subscribe to that level of of you know virtuality but people are are hanging out with their friends online more and more the pandemic taught us how very quickly we had to learn how very quickly and we learned like just what we were capable of and what we could get technology to do for us so i think all of those are are kind of coming together to help take what is 
tooting our own horn, what is a very cool product? What is one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to work on in my life? And just lift it up and and show it to people and and to have people also get really excited and say, like, I could get into that, you know? You're talking about the people are getting back into the, the tabletop and the fantasy. So like in in the 80s, like it was like Beastmaster and then like mm-hmm. Willow. But there wasn't mm-hmm. like this whole fantasy thing going on, you know, for for movies like to get you. And then Lord of the Rings came out. And like that's mm-hmm. probably a little more like I'm, women, I'm you know definitely interested, but probably a little more like guy centric, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, run to a lot of ladies who are like, "What do you, what is this called?" And I'm like, "Oh no, there's like three of them, and don't worry." And you know, but then Game of Thrones came out, and that was like for everybody, and that was fantasy and magic, and then everybody likes medieval times. Also, seems like the women kind of like medieval times a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now you're coming out, you know, and this is like prime for that, as if you just keep insulting half the population back and forth on each side. But it's like equal <laughs> insulting, so it's fine. So it's it's fine. But I think that I think that's really cool. And there's also like this aspect that like in high school, like grade school and high school, like sitting around with your buddies at a table. And if you're just, you, you know, you get a pizza and there's like a bag of chips and like, there's nowhere to go. Like you, you didn't have a car, whatever it might have been. And you just like made your own fun. You're in the basement, wherever it might be. And then in college, like you would kind of do the same thing. And some people may still be playing games, but other people are staying, hanging around and like beer pong or just sit around and watch whatever the game was and sports center for 20 hours. But there's still always like that conversation. There's like other stuff going on. But then as you keep getting older, some people may have held on to this, but like then it's like, oh, a group of us are getting dinner. But it's never like the same conversations. I like sitting around at a table, like that just gets mm-hmm. back. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just think there's like something more to that. And then, you know, it builds more of a, a camaraderie back to like where we were. Mm-hmm. To like yeah. a simpler time, but it's more fun though too. Yeah, and I mean, it also it it presses a lot of buttons for people. When you boil D and D down to like what its core essence is, you're playing pretend with your friends. You know, there's there's <laughs> there's nothing more like core and intrinsically human than everybody sitting around a table and just like imagining things and telling stories. And that's really what tabletop RPGs are. Is you know you're you're just all agreeing on one imaginary story and you're all contributing to it and advancing the plot. That's very cool. It, it's it's building something with your friends, you know? No, I think that's good. And then a lot of the adults now, their journey that they want to go on to the fantasy is just like fantasy football. I'm like, can you please stop talking about your team? Like, it's not even real. And then you're like, oh, did you see this guy? Like 40, like, I just like, please, for the love of God, stop. <laughs> As I like football, I'm saying, like, please stop talking about your fantasy football team. That's good. So you're going to finish writing these campaigns. And you're like, what, going to production, I assume? And and yep. what's what's the goal with all of this? Yep. So from here on out, it's it's writing and getting art, right? We've already got a huge backlog of art, which is very, very cool. We have an art director. Her name is Bianca Papillardo, and she is immensely talented. She's based out of Argentina. So as we continue writing content for the game and all these side stories, we come up with these really cool creatures or come up with these really cool scenes. We get to go to Bianca and, you know, ramble for 15 or 20 minutes or write up a description. And then she turns it into some, you know, amazing, cool, glorious art. So that'll be happening as we're also writing. And then it'll become time for us to turn it into the physical product. So we have a publisher that we're working with for Horseman Press. They're going to help us do distribution, right? They're going to help us get into local game stores, Barnes and Noble, you name it, so that the book is going to be out there for people to pick up. And we'll be able to do a digital release early next year. Printing takes a long time. Making vinyls and CDs takes a long time. So we're looking to ship the physical books, have those all shipped out by around this time next year, which is going to be very, very cool. Be perfect for like Halloween gaming, right? Sitting around and doing Cthulhu stories. I'm super excited about it. (laughs) 
I think that's good. And you know, on a calendar, you're like, oh, well, years a lot. But then like, as you're doing the stuff, you're like, oh my God, like, years coming up. Like this, this is so fast. Yeah. This is so fast. Yeah. That was <laughs> the two years leading up to the Kickstarter was like, oh, we've got two years and oh, we've got a year. And then it was very quickly like, oh my God, it's in three hours. Go. Let's go live. Let's go live. How much are you planning on expanding like with this? Like, so George Lucas made his billions, like, it, and it was, like the the toys, like were the big thing. He kept he kept hundred percent of the action figures and the collectibles. Or do you see yourself going down that that route as like with these monsters? You're gonna have like little figurines. Like you've got the Chula Dream T-shirts, like things like that. God, how cool would it be to have like a toy line, right? Or a Netflix adaptation? <laughs> you know those yeah. those things are the dream. It's, it's tough to plan for those when you're in. Uh, even though we've had a Kickstarter, we've seen the interest. People have come out and sank their teeth into it. It's still very embryonic as far as product identity goes. So would I love to see like a live action movie and like a whole novel series and a comic spinoff and all this, all this stuff? Yeah. Yeah, sure would. We've definitely had conversations with people about those things, right? But it really just, we we have to get the book finished first. We have to get people introduced to the world and see how they respond to it. And if they respond to it positively, I mean, when when the first Star Wars film came out, not a lot of action figures for the first movie, right? It was, it was as the world kept building and expanding and growing, and then that product line took off. So we'll see what happens when the script is finished. <laughs> okay. I think that's a great, yeah, great answer. And to be prepared for that, that's good too. Like think that, uh, think that way down there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. But so I think that was like, equals like probably like an EP credit for me or something here. Like I'm just, just throwing it out there. Just right <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other paths you want to go down? What one more do you, do you have anything else you want to tell us? Oh, um, I, I don't uh, necessarily like, I'm just excited to, to see people like, you know, next year start getting this in their hands and like, seeing it kind of in a wider release you know uh, and and just like starting to to get feedback on it you know outside of like our our little core group and start hearing back from music people too like on that side and just like getting getting feedback on how how everything is working like this thing that we've been planning and and working on for the last few years like that's i'm i'm really looking forward to that yeah, same hat with playtesting for for the for the writing side for games. We do all of our playtesting through our Discord, and every time I write a thing, it it's not alive until I see a group play it, and that's like that's my favorite part of the whole process. I hate the businessy stuff. I hate product design and shipping catalogs and choosing a distributor. That's a nightmare. But seeing people play the game, you know, is it's the best, and we get to do that much much earlier than the final release date, which is cool. So on the Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that you wrote for things like that, or anything else you, you've done with, you know, action fiction or even, you know, the Fable Factory, have you ever gotten feedback, like positive feedback, but like they don't realize like who they're talking to? Have you ever just like been in a room like, oh my God, that, that Dungeons and Dragons one like that you happen to work on, like you're just oh, hearing people yeah. like, raving about it, but they don't realize <laughs> you're like, dude, that's me. Like my, like, you know, like, yeah, of course you wouldn't yeah, do that. So, you're too cool for that. So you wouldn't, you would just hang back in the corner. Um, I would, I would are, jump into the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was actually at a convention earlier this year um, in in Chicago. Actually, it was, it was uh, Anime Midwest. I was there exhibiting at a booth. We were promoting Cthulhu Dreamt, and I was pushing the Monsters of Merca books. And I had the first book on display, and I was just showing it to people. And the, our second book has. Let's see if I can have I have it here. Uh, you know, podcasters can't see it. Our second book has Guy Fieri as a dragon on the cover, right? Um, <laughs> awesome. And 
It's very fun. It's very iconic. Everybody like has seen the shirt, the Dungeons and Diners and Dragons and and Dives and things. And somebody walked by the booth and heard me talking to somebody else about like, oh, here's Monsters of Mercury. Here's this fun world. And they sat and waited. They waited for like five, 10 minutes for me to finish that conversation. And then they came by and they were like, have you guys seen the book? that has like Guy Fieri as a dragon on it. Cause it sounds very similar to yours. And I like reached down behind the booth and I was like this, this book. And he was like, Oh, it's you. And he was very, very excited. So it was very cool to like kind of yeah. have that moment, you know, that's awesome. That's so much fun. That's cool. You ever have that read or you're no, I'm still, like I'm still an insane unknown. Yeah. You'll get there. <laughs> You'll have all the, the Taylor Swift attention in no time and, and they'll be showing you on screen at places. Yeah, I mean, for Reed's Eras tour. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Come on, guys! I'm too old for that. <laughs> but that's cool, man. I, I think that's really awesome. I appreciate you guys coming on. I I hope this project takes off how you want it. It sounds really awesome. Open door. You guys want to come back and you know it's ready to launch. You want to come back on here and, and we'll talk about it and see what else is happening. That'd be really cool. But where can people find you? Where can they find out more about this information? Yeah, CthulhuDreamt.com is the site to go to for this project directly. I think if I remember correctly, like it's it's been a couple of weeks since I looked at the page. I think it goes to the Kickstarter page, which shows like, you know, funded, and then it's got another link to go right to the backer kit pre-order store if, if somebody missed the Kickstarter or whatever. Um, but CthulhuDreamt.com for Fable Factory, it's fablefactory.org. And I know for action fiction, it's actionfiction.com. We're on all the socials, like with those same monikers and yeah awesome rock. i'll put it all in the show notes and this way people can follow you i think that's really awesome thank you so much for your time and i look forward to talking to you soon good luck guys thanks hey, a lot thank Brian. you so much thank you all right everyone that was our show don't forget to leave a review on itunes spotify or wherever you stream your podcast like and follow the podcast on facebook and instagram to stay up to date in all things wild and weird check out the links in the show notes for more information on our guest the biggest support you can offer is to tell everyone about the podcast until next time 